It's amazing to see you. Uh, I'm glad you're back uh, after last week. Didn't know how many folks would return, so it's uh, great to see all of you guys here. Um, listen, I just need to be upfront vulnerable with you guys. Uh, I'm really excited about tonight. Uh, really. In fact, I, I had to like, during the last song there, I just went back to the back room and I was like, take a deep breath, like calm down. Um, so bear with me. Uh, let's start here. Five years worth and three children worth of uh, parenting experience for me. Uh, through that, I've learned a couple things. And um, I don't claim to have learned as much as the next guy, but I have learned some things. One of the biggest things I've learned is this. Parenting is this constant tension of I'm way in over my head. I have no clue what I'm doing. These children are taking, like they're, they're just taking control of me, right? Like that's one side, like crazy chaos. And then the other side, they just bring so much joy. Like you're, as a parent, you're just constantly living in that tension. It feels like a circus some days. And last night is no exception. So my wife uh, was um, hanging out with a, a bunch of Matthias women. They do this thing called the cookie exchange. Uh, like, I, I don't know why the guys aren't, like, doing this. You know, like, prime rib exchange or something. Like, I don't know. Like, let's cook some ribeyes and exchange them. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I guess they get together. They, everyone makes cookies, and then they just give them to each other. Like, this is brilliant. Anyway, um, I, I wasn't about to sit at home. So uh, what do you do with your kids when you don't want to sit at home? You go to Chuck E. Cheese. That's what you do, right? And so any, any Chuck E. Cheese fans here, right? Any of you guys old enough to remember Showbiz Pizza? Showbiz, loved it. Anyway, so I'm by myself, three kids. I'm clearly outmatched. Uh, the thing about walking into an establishment such as this, it, it, the entrance is really difficult. I can't expect my little two-year-old son, Dawson, who many of you know, uh, amazing little child. Uh, he runs, though, on uh, the same energy as his father. I can't expect this young lad to walk in this place with like flashing lights and games and all kinds of things and just stand by me. So I'm always a little bit nervous when I'm walking into Chuck E. Cheese by myself. And last night was no exception. I walk in, they do the little stamp thing to make sure no one is, you know, no one's taking children, which I'm all for. And then, uh, and then Dawson just runs off. Like he's just a crazy kid, right? But I can see him. So we're good. Like I'm spotting him. He's over here. All's fine. And I'm paying for the cardboard that they called pizza there. Have you had it? It's like, seriously? Like, they took a piece of cardboard, threw some sauce on it, right, and called it pepperoni pizza. Anyway, um, I, I turn around after paying, and Dawson has, has climbed up on the little horse thing. Have you, like, it's a little horse rider, like the game is. But the pro- that wasn't the problem. The problem was there was already a girl sitting on the horse who had, who had paid to ride the horse. And Dawson just took it upon himself to like sit himself in front of this girl and the mom the mom is standing right there you know and so I'm getting the you're that parent you know like just letting your child run uh, run amok all through here you know and so had to go get him I'm really sorry we eat pizza and then it's game time and I'm trying out of the love of my heart to teach my child one of the greatest things ever created skee-ball agree (laughs) have you played this thing it's brilliant it's amazing balls in the thing it's it's awesome and uh, so I'm teaching him with this very hard plastic red thing uh, to nice and gentle, like underhand, <laughs> underhand, up the thing and in the thing. Everything's good. And I turn to help my little princess, my little five-year-old Avery, because she's trying to learn how to play skee-ball, and she's like sitting over there like, you know, just holding this. And I turn around, and Dawson has the ball like this. <laughs> and um, I, wish, I wish this didn't, I wish this, I, I'm not telling you this story, but it happened he, I'm, I'm too slow on the trigger. He throws this very, you played ski ball, this very hard plastic thing. And you know what covers the thing is like plexiglass, right? It, I mean, it perfect. It, honestly, the kid's, got a, the kid's got an arm. I mean, like, it was <laughs> phenomenal, actually. But, but it nails this, this plexiglass, reverberates through the restaurant. I'm like, you know, so embarrassed, right? And, uh, and, and, I, and I turn to my right, and here comes one of the little, you know, uh, Chuck E. Cheese elves, one of the little workers, you know. And, and she's like, hey, uh, like, you need to control your kid. I'm like, I, I know, you know. I'm, I'm, I just want to take my kids to Chuck E. Cheese. Like, give a guy a break here, you know. I, 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 parenting, you just feel so, so just crazed out of your mind sometimes. But at the same time as that, it's, 
just brings you tremendous joy. Any parents in the room? Just Amen, right? Yes. So last night, same night. All this happens in the same night. That's the crazy thing about parenting. We're all like in Avery's queen-size bed, uh, and I'm teaching them uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000, and we're singing songs together. Dawson's favorite is This Little Light of Mine. Any other fans? All right, all three of you. The rest of you are like, that sounds like a crazy song. Anyway, we're singing it, and we pray together, and then Avery says this. She looks at me, and she says, she says, Dad, how was work today? Now, now listen, I've been waiting for eight months for her to say that. I've been teaching her for eight months how to ask other people questions, how to not be so self-consumed, how to engage in conversation, putting others first by asking others questions. It's an art that many of you lack as well. But my five-year-old asks me genuinely with a smile, that beautiful princess, no one's ever going to marry that girl face. <laughs> she says, she says, how was work today? And as I'm sharing with her, she just, she's smiling. She keeps asking me questions. Tell, so who's, who's staff? Like, who are the staff people, you know? And, um, waiting. And then when something comes to fruition, can we, it's just one of the best moments, isn't it? Like when you've been waiting for something so long and then finally it happens, it's like all that anticipation brings so much joy. Waiting in general is an interesting, intriguing topic. And and I'm wondering this, I have much to say on this tonight, but I want to kind of, I want to ask you guys a few questions, if you guys don't mind, just to get us all on the same page. Have you ever just, have you ever felt like all you do in your life is wait? Like, for some of you that are parents, I've heard my wife say this almost every day. All I feel like I did today was wait on the kids to make another mess so I could clean it up, you know? Have you ever felt like that before? Like all you're, Have you ever felt like all you're doing is waiting on that person to change? You've been waiting for so long for that person to finally make a change so that you could get in the relationship or so that you guys, whatever. Have you ever felt like, like all you're doing is waiting to hear what your calling is or what you're supposed to be doing in your life? Do you feel like all you're doing in your life is waiting on that one big break. Like you've created this, this thing in your mind that says you're going to win the lottery someday, right? And, and you just, you believe that if it's that or something less, that, that that's going to be the thing that turns this whole thing around. Last question. Have you ever laid your head on the pillow right before you go to sleep? And the thought going through your mind is, like I, I've spent all day waiting I'm just not sure on what. You ever had that sense before? I feel that way all the time. Like I'm waiting on something, and I'm not really sure even what it is. Now, if you've come tonight, I'm really excited. Because I feel like this issue is a huge, huge opportunity for us to grow tonight. All of us grow. Me, grow. You, grow. We're in our sixth week of Hebrews chapter 11. You're like, six weeks in one chapter? Yeah, we're only halfway done, okay? This whole chapter has been a journey of faith and encouragement, watching these heroes of the Bible and their wrestlings with faith. We're in our 11th month of the book of Hebrews. So no matter if you've been here through the whole journey or if you're just coming tonight, listen, let's go for it, all right? Let's go for it. So open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. That wasn't a resounding, let's go for it, but I'm going to go for it anyway. And whoever wants to come, we'll see you at the end. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. When you're there, say I'm there. You can see all the LED screen lit faces. Um, Now I want to read uh, these um, verses, uh, verse 13 through 16, to kind of help build some context. We looked last week at Abraham and Sarah and their journey of having Isaac. And then verse 13 of Hebrews 11, here we go. These all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak uh, uh, thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Verse 13, let's roll, here we go. Verse 13, Q, verse 13. These all died in faith. 
Uh, the first question would be, who are the these, right? Now, if you've been with us, you know that we've studied several uh, men. Enoch, okay? We looked at uh, the woman Sarah. We looked at Abel. We've looked at Abraham. Well, Enoch, as you know, what was special about Enoch? Anyone? He did not die. He walked with God. He did not die. So he must not be speaking of the characters that we've already talked about. He must be talking about someone or some, uh, some other kind of people. Well, it must be the patriarchs, the pillars of the Jewish faith, of the Christian faith. Abraham and his son Isaac and Isaac's son Jacob. And so what he says is these all died in faith. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of them died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Powerful text. There are two things that these patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, are commended for in Hebrews 11. The first thing, still believing the promises, though they never saw so many of them come to fruition. This is crazy. Listen to this. God tells Abraham in Genesis 12, I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. I'm going to make your name great. You're going to have many descendants. You're going to have a son. You're going to be the father of a great nation. He sees like only a bit of those promises ever come true in his lifetime. He lives his lifetime having to believe that the things God spoke will happen after he exists. Uh, Do you consider yourself a patient person? Any of you guys? Any of you guys? How many of you in the room right now would call yourself, I'm patient, patient patient.com, that's me. Okay, one, three, anyone else? That's seriously it? Listen to this. Uh, Are you guys the the people that go to, you know Walmart, right? Are you the people that go to Walmart and after, uh, when it's time to check out, you're like, like you're, you're assessing all of the opportunities, you know? Like you only have so much time, the lines look somewhat lengthy, and so you begin in a very judgmental way to first gauge the cashiers. She's 95. I'm not sure he's even, even competent. Like you're, you're literally gauging the cashiers, you know? That doesn't look like money. He just handed them back. I mean, you're like going through, you're go- right? And then after that's done, then you, now you've narrowed it down to three possible lines, right? Now you're looking at the people and what they have in their cart, right? And so finally you've landed. Like I think this one is, is the one, right? Then, then what happens? All of a sudden, we have, you know, um, Mary, Mary uh, Magdalene here, right, has forgotten uh, something on aisle 10, okay? And so, so now the manager's having to go, oh, and by the way, this thing doesn't have a tag on it. So are you the person that's, like, standing in line, like, seriously, come on, you know? And you, like, switch lines, and then you realize this one, and then you switch back. Are you that person? Like, that is the epitome of lack of patience, right? Any of you, would any of you be like, that's me? Yeah, like, okay. Have any of you ever been to the DMV before? You don't, you don't like the DMV. Um, so listen, listen. My last time there at the DM death, um, I was sitting there in the chair, and you grab the little, the little number thing, and you're sitting there, and you're, just, you're, you're watching that little red LED number, you know? And have you ever, if you're like me at all, I, I often think there's some conspiracy. Like, I have number 62, but for some reason, it's been on 61 for like, like 10 minutes, though no one is, like, like people are going in and out. No one's changing the numbers. I'm sitting here with 62. Like, do all of you people hate me? What's the problem here, you know? I want to get my car registered. My man van needs a license, you know what I'm saying? Let's figure this out. We're an antsy people. We're by nature not patient. What would it look like for you to be called by God promised things by God that would not come true in your lifetime that would happen after you were dead? How good would you be with that? How okay would you be with what Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob clearly embodied and that was waiting on the Lord? Huh? In fact, let me ask this. How do you do currently with waiting on the Lord? Let's uh, talk about this for a moment. 
There are certain cliches, statements, phrases said in the church that make everyone feel better and no one knows what they mean. Waiting on the Lord is one of those. You'll hear often in someone when they need encouragement, they'll say something that they're struggling with and some brilliant Christian will say, well, you just got to wait on the Lord, man. You know, like wait on the Lord. That's what you need to do. When both of you well know, I have no idea what you're talking about, you know? Like, I, uh, waiting in Lord, I get, but what is, I feel like, listen, I feel like before coming into this teaching, I didn't know what it meant. I feel like it was a nice, catchy phrase, a good thing that went on a bracelet, but I really didn't know what waiting on the Lord was. So, this is stirring on my heart so huge, and I want you to stay with me, because if, if we all can get this tonight, I'm telling you, so much growth. If you're interested in learning about waiting on the Lord, there's one book of the Bible that you must get very intrigued with. Anyone? The Psalms. The Psalms, 16 times the word wait is used very specifically, and 14 of those 16 are in light of waiting on the Lord. The psalmist, David, was said to be a man after what? God's own heart. So if David, well done, if David was a man after God's own heart and his book and writings and worship are riddled with phrases talking about him waiting on the Lord, then David has something to say about waiting on the Lord. Are, Are we together? In fact, I would say this. One of the main aspects that he's considered to be man after God's own heart is because he understood what it looked like to wait on the Lord. So I want to show you three of the 14. Verse 25, verse 5. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I will wait all the day long. Listen, when I read this first uh, a few days ago, like my heart was ready to come out of my chest, longing to be able to pray that. Confessing that I'm not sure I was in a place where I could but desiring that I could say, I've got, I want to wait for you all day long. I have nowhere else to go. I want to wait for you. And then he adds this, Psalm 38, 15. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. The answer's coming. I believe it. I've got no one else to wait on. So here, I will sit and wait. Lastly, my favorite, Psalm 62. Beautiful verse. Please see this. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. Wait in silence. No words, no rhetoric, no phrases, just wait. For my hope is from Him. Now, what I think you think, and I thought I, anyway, what I, what I feel like we came into this believing was that waiting on the Lord was sitting back in our lazy boy, blaming our lethargy and our laziness on waiting on God to speak. What you see in David in studying in his life and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is this. Waiting on the Lord was all about preparation. was all about preparing their hearts so that when God did call, they were ready to answer the bell. It, it's like a soldier looking at his commander, just waiting for his commander to turn and say anything. Eyes focused. All I'm doing right now is I'm waiting. My heart's prepared. I'm in it. My sword's ready. Instead, the commander turns around, looks at you. Hey, listen, it's time to go. Oh, oh, what? It's time time to go. Oh, yeah, no problem. Let me get my things together here. Like, let me, actually, let me pray about if it's time to go first for a little while. Actually, I'm going to fast too. That sounds more spiritual, right? I love fasting, but we use it often as a spiritual band-aid instead of seeing it for biblically what it is. All I'm saying is, you sit back in your laziness, say you're waiting on God, and God's saying, waiting on what? I already told you to go. You're not waiting on me, you're waiting on yourself. You're waiting on your doubts, you're waiting on your fears. You're waiting to muster up enough courage. I told you to go, so go. And so many of you. I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know what job I should have. I don't know what girl or guy I should marry. They're always coming to me, Mark, how do I understand God's calling? What should I do in the meantime until I hear his voice? You make preparations. 
You prepare yourself. You seek the Lord through his word, not out of duty, but because it's amazing. And it has so much life and truth. You prepare yourself by communing with the Lord in prayer. So when he does look back and say, you go here now, your heart's ready. You don't need to get on your knees and pray. You're straight prayed up. Are we together? There's no more need for preparation. Your heart's already ready. That's what it means to wait on the Lord. I think the way I've been living is, I'll just sit back, wait on you, take a couple days. That's not biblically what we see in these men. They were ready to go. Waiting on the Lord meant at the moment, at the precise instance that you say go, I am ready and I will go. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David all embodied this. I have much more to say on the topic, which may be surprising to you, but uh, we're going to wait and hold off on that for just a little bit. Next slide. The second thing that they're commended for was acknowledging they were strangers on the earth. That's what Hebrews 11.13 said. They were strangers. Now, interestingly enough, in the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, An ancient writer says that it was better to be poor and have a shack than be the new guy in town, or to be a sojourner, to be in exile. It was way better to be poor and have something than to move somewhere. Have any of you guys ever moved towns? Any of you guys? Okay, a few of you. You know what that's like. When I was seven, we moved from uh, south of Chicago to Iowa. Um, You guys know where that state is? Okay, not much to it. A lot of corn. Field of dreams are there. And um, I, I just, I just, you've seen the movie. I'm impressed. That was, I think, in the 80s. Brandon, when was that movie? Was that in the early 90s? Before most of you were born. Anyway, great movie. Go see it. Um, when we moved to Iowa, here's what my parents were interested in. Listen, Mark, um, we want to make sure, like, all your transitions, your teachers, like, movie's tough. want to make sure all your transitions, your teachers, your friends, you know. And so they were very, in, like, you, when you move into a new home, what, what do you do typically? Like, you... You furnish it because you want it to feel like what? Home. You, you, like you want to dig in roots. Like you you want to make sure that, like, w- that when you come home, you've got a refuge. Then when I was 12, my dad got another job transfer, and so we moved from Iowa to Vandalia, Illinois, right? And why the laughs on Vandalia? <laughs> the mascot, the Vandals. Like we're very into serving others. Vandalia Vandals, right? And... Um, but we moved again. I remember my parents saying, like, listen, like, we're really, like, make sure your relationships in it. Listen, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the fathers of the faith, were nomads their entire life. Listen, they lived in tents. When they looked at their calling, and as God keeps calling them from place to place, they never had an opportunity to dig in roots. By God's command, They were constantly moving, though they were these pillars. All I'm saying is, how would you deal with that? These guys were commended because they knew this wasn't their home. In fact, more specifically, next slide, the writer goes on to say this in 14, 15, 16, 4. People who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. That's what we're by nature seeking. We want to make roots. We want to sink in, meet people, meet neighbors, have consistency. That's what we crave. Even if it's your dorm room, whatever, it doesn't matter. We want roots. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. He's saying if Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would have been thinking about Haran, their homeland, they could have gone back. And in fact, I would say this. They probably would have gone back. But it shows they weren't thinking about it. They were thinking about God's command. They were thinking about what God had said. They were thinking about waiting on the Lord. That's what they were interested in. And so... Verse 16 says, as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. And please, if you don't see anything else tonight, please see this. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. I don't know if you've seen a weighty verse all week, but maybe this one's it. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, God says, I am the God of Abraham, I am the God of Isaac, and I am the God of Jacob. God is not ashamed to put his name and their names in the same sentence. And that, my friends, is so incredibly merciful. And for many of you, it's your story. It's your reality. Because of the power of Christ, a bloody cross, sin atoned for, your sins washed clean, an empty tomb, 
Because of what Christ has done, God is not ashamed to put your name and his name in the same sentence. And if that doesn't cause you to fall on your face and just worship for a while, I don't know what will. God says, I'm not ashamed to call him my son. I'm not ashamed to call her my daughter because of what my son has done. He finished the work. He's accomplished the task. And so I am their God. Now, there were some other options for these men. First thing, they could have died in doubt. Abraham could have got to the end of all of this. Yeah, uh, yeah, God, about that whole, like, you're going to do something with me thing. I, I'm, I'm not so sure that, that, that that's happened. Like, I, I, you said you were going to do this, you said you were going to do that, and... No, Abraham doesn't die in doubt, still believing, still knowing that God would provide, still believing that God can't break his promises. The second thing, and more damaging thing he, he could have done, is caused doubt in the generations after them. Figuratively speaking, Abraham's laying on his deathbed. Isaac and Jacob are standing there. Hey, boys, uh, this whole God's going to provide thing. Listen, take it from me, your dad. Come on now. This is hogwash. Look at us. God said he was going to make our name great. He was going to bless us. Does this look like a blessing? I'm going downhill, boys. I'm going to die. The words of a father bear much weight. Amen? Think about the words that those um, phrases, explanations would have done to Abraham's sons. He doesn't do that. In fact, if you study Genesis, you know that Father Abraham is consistently encouraging his boys by example and word to continue to follow. His boys, meaning Isaac and Jacob, of course, is Isaac's son. Third thing, in their need to settle down or feel at home, they could have set up camp. Yeah, this whole roaming around thing is lame. Like, we need a camp, we need some roots. God, I know you said to keep moving. I know you wanted us to be nomads and live in a tent. I'm not having it. I'm going to set up camp. Then, God, we can talk again. Have you ever bargained with God like that? Stopped short. Hey, God, yeah, here's the deal. I understand this whole thing. It, it just, it's a little bit too outlandish. I'll stop short a little bit. Then you come back down. We'll reconvene, right? You can retell me something. And God's like, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? I had something very specific, and if you were willing to wait on me, you would have known that it's this or nothing, right? And so these three men, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, embody a beautiful picture of what it means to wait on the Lord. Now, the writer turns to an unbelievable example. Next slide. Um, by faith, Abraham... He was tested here in Hebrews 11, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. Uh, verse 18, of, him, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Now, if you've grown up with the church or if you've seen a good felt board, there's a great chance you've heard this story before, Okay. Abraham and Isaac, Genesis 22. I'm telling you right now, we're going to look at the story in depth. There's so much powerful truth in this outside of just what you think you know. And if you've never heard the story, you're in for a treat. So what is this moment that Hebrews 11 is talking about? Genesis 22, verse 1. You ready? Let's do this. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham! And he said, here I am. This is right after Isaac and verse 21 had been born. He said, hey, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. If you're like me, it's tough to see this as a real story at first, isn't it? Hold on a second. So God, let me just make sure I understand. You're saying you want Abraham to sacrifice his only son. Is that what you're... But you promised that he would have a son, Isaac, and you want him to go sacrifice that son. Um, I have two sons. And the thought of even being called to do that, or even having to wrestle with that. Earlier, after the first service, I look, I'm standing right here, I look over, and here comes Dawson, like running over the thing, and just with open arms, it gives me a big hug. And God, you're asking me to sacrifice that? Now, this is a real story? This really happened? 
And God is literally calling Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son, whom he promised to be his heir. Tremendous stuff, and I need you just to try to feel the weight of this story as it unfolds. Verse 3. So Abraham rose early. I know that's a far cry from many of you, okay? Um, the last time you saw 8 o'clock was a few months ago. But, but what does this show us? Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. What did we just talk about when you're waiting on the Lord? What happens? You're ready. You're ready for God to move, even if it's the most intense thing you could ever imagine. God says, I want you to kill your son. And he wakes up early in the morning. He rises early, saddles his donkey, grabs his two servants and Isaac, and he takes off on the journey. My friends, that is a man who is waiting on the Lord. You say whatever, you point whatever, I will go, I will do it because I'm prepared. My heart is encouraged. I've been in communion with you to discern what is your voice and what is not. And that's what communing with the Lord does. In an instant, you're able to say, no, that's not the Lord, or yeah, that's the Lord. It goes exactly with the scripture, and my spirit's confirming it. That's what happens. Abraham goes, he's been waiting on the Lord, saddles up the donkey, grabs the two servants. This is crazy. So interesting. Went to the place which God had told him, verse 4. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. God didn't tell Abraham, hey, uh, here's the deal. Built you this really cool altar in the backyard there. Uh, Be really convenient. Uh, Not a big deal. Just take your son out there, kill him, and all will be well. No, he, he tells him to go to a place I know many of you haven't walked a mile since P.E., right? But, but he calls them to go to a place that is a two-day journey. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been called to something? Initially? Okay, let's do this. Give it two days? Doubt? Questions? Maybe not? Am I sure this is God? Abraham has a two-day walk through rocky terrain with his son with him. I would imagine they spoke. Could we make that assumption? I would imagine they're talking, conversing. And I would imagine there was opportunity after opportunity for Abraham to say, God, there is no way I'm going to go through with this. Like, this is my son. My blessed, precious son. I won't do this. And the walk continues. And the scripture never indicates that he wavers at all because he's focused on the Lord I wait on you you said to do it and so I have to do it there's no other option look at this in verse 5 unbelievable then Abraham said to his young men stay here with the donkey (laughs) Uh, I and the boy gotta love that we'll go over there and what's the word worship There's 172 times that this Hebrew word shows up in the scripture. This is the third of 172, but the first that's ever focused on God. The first time in the Bible we see the word worship attributed to God is this. Do you think that has any implications into our worship? We think that worship is coming together, singing a few songs, right? Like, dancing around a little bit, couple claps, couple hand raises. The onset of worship in the scripture is a father being called to kill his son. Radical obedience. That's what worship is. Radical obedience. No matter what it's facing, no matter what it's being called to do, it's radical obedience. That's what worship is from its onset to now. December 14th, 2011. It makes no difference. We're going to go worship, me and my son. There's something special about worshiping with your dad. Have you ever had that opportunity before? Uh, One of my biggest memories with my father is uh, being at Promise Keepers. Have you guys heard of that? Really cool thing, 50,000 men in Soldier Field in Chicago. I was 13. I remember looking over at my dad and 50,000 men singing How Great Thou Art. If you know the song, it's just... It's ridiculous, you know? And we're singing together, and I look over, one of the first times I ever saw my dad cry. 
I just remember being a young boy, like looking up that and thinking like, that must be what worship looks like. Something special about Father, Son, worship, including this. But look at where this ends in verse 5. We will go over there and worship, and what's the word say there? Come again to you. Hold on. Say that again. He tells the servants, we're going to go worship, me and the boy, and we're going to come again to you. Well, the verse in Hebrews, verse 19, that we haven't looked at yet, alludes to this. Look at uh, this, Hebrews, the next slide. Hebrews 11, verse 19. He considered that God, Abraham, was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So Abraham fully believes that if I go and kill my son, God will raise him from the dead, which is crazy because you and I read a Bible that talks about God and Christ resurrecting people. Abraham didn't have that luxury. Like no one, at least from what we can see, has been resurrected from the dead. Abraham is trusting that God can't break his promise. You said he's my heir. You said he's my descendant. And so if you call me to kill him, then you're going to raise him to life again. So servants, we'll see you here in a little bit. You want to talk about some faith. You want to talk about some heavy weight in that moment. The servants don't even know necessarily what's going on. Isaac at this point doesn't even know what's going on. I'm going to go worship with daddy. This is going to be great. All right, we'll see. Next slide. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. This seems a little bit peculiar. Of course, Abraham's old, 120 plus, somewhat crippled, I would imagine. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. Now this is when things get really, really interesting. And I, please just hang on every one of these words. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, "Uh, my father, uh, yeah, uh, here I am, my son. He said, "Uh, behold, the fire and the wood, which I'm sure he said it exactly like that. Uh, Behold, right, the fire and the wood. Um, But there's a problem here. Uh, Where's the lamb? Like it's, I mean, I'm excited about going to worship with you. That's, Great, no. Uh, where, like, we need a sacrifice here. This is, a, this is like, a, a, is it going to show up up there? Like, what's? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. In all the, the passages in Genesis that I've read, that's, that's one of my favorite. Because it's, it's the theme of the Bible. And God will provide what God needs to be worshipped my son. God always provides for himself what he needs to be worshipped. If you think that by showing up in a room and lifting your holy hands that God needs you, my friends, to be worshipped and glorified, you know what Jesus uh, said? He said, uh, uh, during the triumphal entry, he said, if, if these boys don't cry out, the stones will cry out. I will be worshipped. If it's you, great. If it's not, it'll be the stones. I am deserving of worship, and I will get worship. He doesn't need us, but in His grace and mercy, He desires us. Isn't that incredible? Longs for us to be His sons and daughters. So this is the theme of the Bible. God will provide what He needs for worship, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Next slide. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in, uh, in order. And we don't have any of the in-betweens here. Bound Isaac, his son. Had to be an interesting moment in the scripture. Like, God will provide. And then I'm not sure how all this took place. 120-year-old uh, Isaac at this point, by all intents and purposes, is somewhere between 9 and 36. I've got him at about 19 or 20. 120-year-old, like, like tying up a 19 or 20-year-old. Like, do the quick math there. I'm, you know, like, apparently Isaac was just like, oh, this is a fun game. Or, like, I'm not sure what's happening here. Like, right? He ties him up, laid his son on the altar and on top of the wood. Before we read the next verse, picture yourself as Abraham. Picture yourself as Isaac. What's going through your mind? I'll tell you what's going through Abraham's mind. Verse 10. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. You think, and I often think, that faith is the journey. I'll take the two-day, I'll wake up early, I'll tell my servant we're going up, I'll look down at my son, God will provide the lamb, I'll get all the way there, even lay my son on the altar, 
But in that moment, the moment where faith meets fruition, I will back down. Too fearful, lacking courage, believing it's more about me. The knife drops, I can't go through with it. I feel like many of your journeys through God's calling in your life stops short of fruition. You start believing that the journey is actually what's important. The journey gets you to the moment of fruition. Are you with me? The journey is what blesses you to be able to look back and say, God has provided and God will provide now. If he drops the knife, it's not faith. But he grabs it. He is ready in this moment, my friends, to murder, sacrifice, kill his son. That's what he's ready to do in the scripture slaughter. And at this moment of faith and fruition, the angel of the Lord in verse 11 called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And you, you have to wonder what went on in Abraham's heart at that moment. I don't care how faithful you are. There is still something inside of you that's looking at that son saying, I love you so much, but I love him more. And then the angel calls out. I don't know what was going on in Abraham's mind and heart, but I have to think it was God's provided another way. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you, what's the word? Fear God. You fear God more than your son. You fear God more than yourself. You fear God even more than your calling. You fear God. It's not being afraid of God. It's awing God. It's respecting God. It's honoring God. It's revering God. That's what fearing Him means. I know now that you fear the Lord, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. You are willing to give it all in the face of who I am as God. Now, we have a crazy merger at this point of three things. Look at this. Next slide. In Hebrews 11, verse 13. Abraham was commended for what? Waiting on the Lord, being patient. Waiting for God to bring his call to fruition. He was commended for that. We saw this in Hebrews eleven seventeen. 17. He was commended for his faith. By faith, Abraham. And now in Genesis twenty two twelve, 12, he's commended for what? His fear. Three different things he's encouraged in the scripture about. So my question, next slide, is what is the union of all these three things? What is waiting on the Lord and faith and fear all have to do together. How do these things work together? Next slide, here's how. Faith in God is evidenced by heart that waits on Him. As we've been journeying through Hebrews 11, we've had certain gauges to say whether your faith is fragile, non-existent, or tender. This is one of those gauges. Would you consider yourself to be, right now, a person who has prepared their heart? A person who is watching for God to point His finger, to speak a word, and the moment He does, you are ready now to answer the call. Would you say right now in your life that you are waiting on Him? That is an indicator of who you have faith in. Is it Him? Is it yourself? Is it this relationship over here, or is it Him as Redeemer? Waiting on the Lord means sitting back, preparation of heart, and at a moment's instant, I will follow you. That's what it means. And then this is so cool. A fear of God, like Abraham has, then stirs a heart from waiting on something or someone else. It's the soldier who fears the commander just enough, awes him, respects him just enough. Listen. To know that he can't take his eyes off of him. Because if he does, maybe he'll miss it. How many of you guys tonight just feel like your eyes are, are not there? So distracted. So confused. Lacking so much focus. If God said anything tonight, even with an airplane, you wouldn't hear it. Someone who's waiting on the Lord, his eyes and his heart are incredibly focused 
on the person, the character, the reality of God waiting. You see what I'm saying? And a fear and awe, a respect of him keeps the focus there. I awe you more than I awe and I respect all these other things. So I'm not turning my face away. Now, it would be great if the story was done now, but it's not. The story of Abraham and Isaac continues. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. Remember what Abraham said? God will provide. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. Convenient. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering. What does this last line say? What? Instead of his son. The ram becomes the substitute for Isaac. Isaac's death, Isaac's blood, would just have been a symbol of obedience. His blood at the end of the day would have meant nothing more. It would have been a dead son. But God in His grace and mercy provides a substitute, stops Abraham from killing, and shows that he will be the one who provides. And so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Let me share this with you. you. You never, ever, ever will deserve to be called a friend of God. Uh, you will never, ever deserve for God to say that he's not ashamed to call you his son. You won't ever deserve that. And all the way back in Genesis 22, we have one of the truest pictures of the power of the gospel. People have the audacity to say things like, the Old Testament is boring. The Old Testament is a whole bunch of lengthy words and books and stories that make no sense. Really? This is the picture of Christ right here. God provides a substitute. You should have been in that place. You deserve to die. You deserve to die an enemy of God. But God provided a substitute. He sends his son. His son lives a perfect life. His son dies on a cross, takes on the wrath of God so that you don't have to. He takes on the wrath. He's your substitute. He's your ram in the thicket, my friends. God always provides the means to worship himself, and it's found in the person of Christ. And so because of that substitute, guess what, church? You now can be called his son. You now can be called and put in the same sentence as God. And again I say, if that doesn't cause you to worship and fear Him, I'm not sure what will. That should bring us to our knees. That should bring worship. That should cause our hearts to stir. At the end of the day, there's one question that you're answering. It reveals who you're waiting on. It reveals who you fear. And it reveals who you have faith in. The power of Christ is seen in 2 Corinthians. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And because of what Christ has done. You have the opportunity to answer this question. God or. Abraham answers it. God or Isaac. Which one? Which one? Worship, serve God, or love your son? Love me more or love your son more? You pick. Go. You're answering this question all the time. Your existence is riddled with it. God or this, God or this, God or this relationship, God or this person, God or this job, God or this resource, God or this dollar. And every answer you make to this question is revealing who you're waiting on, who you have faith in, and who you fear, my friends. God or this. What I'm asking tonight is what is in the blank for you? What is it? There's something right now, tonight, like right in this very minute. You've been weighing with something. You've been deciding something. Something is sitting in that. You know you're called to something specific, but this thing is lingering there. And you walked in here tonight even wrestling with it. I know, I'm, I know I should, but this is so, it's God or this. That's its simplicity. That's the reality for you and I. And all I'm, I'm saying to you tonight is the beauty of the cross of Christ is we are empowered and can say God every time.
through the power of his son. The scripture says, yes, we are imperfect. Yes, we still sin. But because of God in us, God can be our everything. God can be our all. And it's such an opportunity for us to remember the substitute of Christ. This last meal uh, with his boys before he becomes their substitute and he breaks the bread. And he says, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. Do you understand what he was saying? He was saying, "Why? it's... it's it's God or your fear. It's God or your, you pick right now. You want to follow me? Then we follow. Let's go together. And then he took the cup and he held it up. And he said, this cup represents the blood of the new covenant. Take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. If you drink this cup, what you're saying is it's you. It's you. I want to wait on you. I don't want to wait on this. I know this will never provide. I want to wait on you. So, before we um, respond, one last thing I want to share with you guys. I have this deep love for seeing people come to this place in their life where they're ready to throw it all away because of how great the character of God is. That's what Abraham did, you see. I'll throw away one of my most loved things in my life because of who you are, God. What I'm asking is, is that what you're willing to do? Are you willing to let go of your timeline, to let go of your ideals and your perceived plans and say, God, I will wait on you and I'm watching. And when you call and when you speak and when you point, I will go. Because it's God or nothing. Let's pray together. So, um, I just pray, God, for grace. I just feel like um, I'm in desperate need of it right now in my life. And I know many of my friends in just desperate need. I thank you, God, for sending your son to be our substitute. Thank you, God, for providing it that no man may boast. But God, I pray tonight that what you'll do in the hearts of us is cause us to repent and to turn away from whatever is sitting in that blank and to grab a hold of who you are as God. I just want to invite you guys to stand and respond. As believers, whenever you're ready, feel free to come and take communion and make this walk tonight be your commitment, your sword in the sand, your moment of saying, God, I want nothing else. I will wait on you. Let's stand and respond when you're ready.